0: Section thirteen of Wings and the Child by e Nesbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three Bricks and Other Things It is a mistake, when you are going to build a city, to make too large a collection of building materials before you begin to build. If it is natural to you to express yourself by pencil lines on paper, you might perhaps draw an outline of the masses of your city, as you see them in the architect's vision or illumination which should precede all building, either of magic cities or municipal cab shelters. Having roughly indicated on paper the general shape of your city, as you look at it from the front, the shape it would have against the western sky at dusk—I think architects call this the elevation, don't they?—you proceed to collect such material as will roughly indicate that shape on the table or other building-place. And here let me once more warn the builder new to his business not to be trapped by the splendid obvious bait of Floor's wide-open space. To build palaces while prone on the stomach may be natural and easy to extreme youth. To grown-up people it is agonizing and impossible. The Floor has only two qualifications as a building site. It is large, larger at least than any of the pieces of furniture which stand on it, and it is flat. And when you have said that, you have said all. Whereas the inconveniences of the floor as a place for building are innumerable. The floor is draughty, it is inaccessible, except from the attitude of the serpent, and the serpent's attitude, even if rich in a certain lax comfort, is most unfavourable for the steady use of both hands. If you want to see how unfavourable, assume that attitude and try to build a card-house on the floor. You cannot do it if you kneel. Well, you know how hard the floor gets if you kneel on it for quite a little time. If you sit or squat, your dress or your coat-tails insist on playing at earthquakes with your building. Also, the city on the floor is liable to hostile invasion, by cats or dogs or servants, to the crushing and scattering by short-sighted outsiders, or people who rush into the room to look for something in a hurry. Think of a playful elephant in some eastern court of carved pearl and ivory lattice, an elephant coinciding with one of the more fanciful volcanic eruptions, and your conception will pale into placidity in the face of the spectacle of a normal puppy in a floor-built city. And on the floor things not only get broken, they get lost. Cotton-reels roll under sofas, draughts bowl away into obscurity. And are only found next day by the housemaid when she moves the fender, and not then as often as not. Chess-kings are walked on and get their crowns chipped, card-counters disappear for ever, and it is quite impossible for you to keep an eye on your materials when you are grovelling among them. Therefore build on a table, or tables. Tables of different shapes, heights, and sizes make beautiful sights for cities. And bureaux are good, if you may take the drawers out and empty the pigeonholes, I remember a wonderful city we made once. It was called the City of the Thousand Lights, and it was built on a bureau, two large tables, and three other smaller ones, all connected by bridges in the handsomest way. The lids of the brick boxes make excellent bridges, and you can adorn them to your fancy and make impressive gatehouses at each end. The bureau was the temple of Mung and we sacrificed a small pink animal from the Noah's Ark at the shrine of this, the most mysterious of the gods of Pagana. The thousand lights—there were not a thousand really, but there were many luminous towers, with windows of a still brighter glow. You make them by putting a nightlight in a tumbler, a little water first by way of fire insurance, and surrounding the tumbler by a sheet of paper with windows and battlements, and fixed to a cylindrical shape by pins. The paper cylinders are, of course, fitted on outside the tumblers, so that there is no danger of fire. All the same, it is better to let a grown-up do the luminous towers. Having chosen your site, and blocked out the mass of your buildings, you begin to collect the building material. For my own part, I see the city I am going to build in the eye of the mind, or of the heart, so vividly and consistently that I never need to make notes of it on paper. I know when what I am building is not in accord with the vision, and then I pull it down. Truly in accord it never really is, but it approximates. Now, when you have seen the silhouette of your city, and begin to look for stuff to build with, you will instantly find that everything you can lay your hands on is too small. The bricks, even the boxes which contained them, are suited for the detailed building which is to come later but now you want something at once bigger and less conventionally proportioned Now is the time to look for boxes-not the carved sandalwood boxes in which aunts keep their pins nor the smooth cedarwood boxes in which uncles buy their cigars (though both these are excellent when you come to the details of your work) but for the mass you want real big boxes if you have a large table or tables Tate's sugar boxes are not too large. Also, there are the boxes in which starch is packed, and cocoa, and the flatter boxes which the lady at the sweet shop will give you if she likes you, and sell to you for a penny anyhow. The boxes in which your father gets his collars, and the boxes in which your mother gets her chocolates, though not really large, should be collected at the same time, because they need the same treatment. I am assuming now that you are not building a city for an afternoon's amusement, but one for which you have found a safe resting-place a city that may take days to build, and will not be disturbed for days. If you can once found your city in a safe place, and you are working at it day after day, you will go on thinking of more and more things to be added to it, and it will grow in beauty under your hands as naturally as a flower under the hand of summer. You have now your collection of boxes, but they are of plain rough wood, and probably disfigured by coarse-coloured printed papers telling what the boxes once held. These papers you wash off, and when the boxes are clean and dry, you paint or colour wash them to suit your requirements. Now your requirements are large blocks of colours to match your bricks, and bricks are of three colours, white, terracotta, and stone colour. The stone bricks are stone colour, and terracotta, oak bricks, are very nearly stone colour, and there are white wood bricks. To these three I would add a dark brown, and as this dark brown is not sold in boxes at the shops, you had better colour some of your bricks with it for yourself. Dark wood in a city gives a wonderful richness, and helps the lighter colours more than you would think possible. A city in which some buildings are of dark wood will have an air of reality never achieved by a city where all is red or white or stone colour. By the way, Among the stone bricks there are some blue ones, but you will always have enough of them, for they are the last things you will ever want to use. Your boxes, then, must be coloured either white, red, stone colour, or dark brown. In the white use either white paint, flat, not shining, or, if that cost too much trouble and money, whitewash made of whitening, size, hot water, and a pinch of yellow ochre or chrome powder, to give it a pleasant ivory creaminess. There should be a good deal of size, so that the whitewash does not come off on everything. The red boxes can be painted to match the red bricks, or colour-washed, whitewash as before, but red ochre for colour. Stone colour is not a very satisfactory tint, and too much of it makes for gloom. The lids and bottoms of the brick boxes will generally give you as much of it as you want, but if you desire stone-colour, you can make it by putting a pinch of raw umber in the whitewash, Or you can paint your boxes with this uninteresting tint, resembling the doors of back kitchens. With these paints or colour-washes, you can make your odd many-shaped boxes into smooth-surfaced blocks to match your bricks, and not only wooden but cardboard boxes can be treated in this way all these colours can be bought in gigantic pennyworths at the oil shops. But when I come to the dark brown, which I confess is my favourite colour, no cardboard box will serve your turn. You must choose clean, smooth wood, because the brown colouring is transparent, and the grain will show through. Your bricks will be smooth enough, and if the boxes are not smooth a little sandpaper will soon subdue their rough exterior. I suppose you know how to use sandpaper? If you just rub with your fingers, you hurt your fingers and don't make much progress. The best way is to wrap the sandpaper round a flat piece of wood—a wooden brick will do—and rub with that. When your wood is all smooth, you mix your stain. And here I make a present to all housewives of the best floor stain in the world. Get a tin of Brunswick Black—the kind you put on stoves—and some turpentine. Mix a little of the black and a little of the turpentine in a pot, and try it on the wood with a smooth brush. A flat brush is the best, till you have the colour you want, always remembering that it will be a little lighter when it is dry. When you have decided on the colour, paint your bricks and boxes on five out of their six sides lightly and smoothly, keeping to the grain of the wood, and not going over the same surface twice if you can help it. This is why a flat brush is the best, it will go right down the side of a brick and colour it at one sweep. Then stand each brick up on end to dry. When it is dry, you can paint the under-bit on which it has been standing. While you have stains and colours going, it is well to colour some of your arches, and also such things as cotton-reels, and the little wooden pill-boxes that you get at the chemist's. Before colouring these boxes, fill them with sand or stones, and stick the lids on with glue, otherwise they will not be heavy enough to build with happily. This painting or colouring should be done out of doors, or in an outhouse if possible. If you have to do it in the house, spread several thicknesses of newspaper before you begin, and make a calm resting-place for your painted things, where they can dry at leisure, and not be scarred with the finger-marks of her who clears away. The earnest builder will keep a watchful eye on any carpentering that may go on in the house, and annex the smaller blocks of wood cut off the end of things, which to an alien eye are so much rubbish, but which are to the builder stores of price. If there are a few shillings to spare, the carpenter will, for those few shillings, cut you certain shapes which you cannot buy in shops, arches of a comfortable thickness and of satisfying curves, and slabs of board for building steps. These should be of varying lengths and thicknesses, and made in sets of twelve steps, with two boards to each step, twenty-four slabs to a set. The biggest might be one inch thick, and the bottom and largest slabs twelve by six inches, lessening to six by one inch. The next set might be three-quarters of an inch, and of corresponding proportions, then half an inch, then quarter of an inch. The two basic slabs of the three-quarters of an inch would be nine by four and a half inches, and those of the half inch would be six by three inches. A set with quarter of an inch steps, the basic slabs three by one and a half inches, would complete the set. Flights of steps of many varying heights and sizes could be built with these slabs. Ask the carpenter, if the shillings are forthcoming, to save for you the curved pieces of wood which come out of the arches. They are very useful for the bases of pillars, for towers, and for the pedestals of statues or vases. Some of the arches, steps, and blocks should be coloured to match the red, white, and brown bricks. Some of the boxes, particularly the larger ones, should have doorways sawn in them on opposite sides. It is pleasant to look through a building and see the light beyond, and if you are a thorough builder you can make a pillared interior which will delight the eyes of those who stoop down and peer through the doorway. A few narrow oblong windows high up will also be useful. You need not show them unless you wish. You can always conceal them by a façade of bricks. Another pleasant use of a big box is to cut out the top and sides, and make a columned court of it, which, when cream washed, dignifies your city with almost all the glory that was Greece, and the grandeur that was Rome the columns are cut from broom-handles, twopence each at the oil-shop, or, in the case of smaller boxes, from those nice round smooth wooden sticks, which cost a penny and are used in ordinary life to thread window-blinds on. If you are going to make a city which is to stand for some time, a little thin glue is a good help to stability. If it is only a here-to-day-and-gone-to-morrow city, plasticine is good. The least touch of it seeming to make things safe which otherwise might totter to their ruin. But except as mortar plasticine should be shunned, it is not good as a building material. Having now your bricks, boxes, arches, steps, and rounds, you may begin to block out your building. Quite soon you will begin to find that everything is too rectilinear. Even the arches and the rounds and the pillars and the pill-boxes cannot satisfy your desire for curves this is the moment when you will begin to look about you for domes. And the domes, on the instant of their imposition in your building, will call out for minarets. It is then that you will wander about the house, seeking eagerly for things that are like other things. Your search will be magnificently successful, if only the lady of the house has given you a free hand, and you have been so fortunate as to secure the sympathies of the kitchen queen. End of section 13.